1: Good morning, everybody. Wednesday morning, the 24th of May, 2021. Welcome to a Monday morning wake up call here on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with us here. Lots to talk about this morning. Some people that slept very, very well last night. Of course, top of the list Phil Mickelson winning the uh, PGA championship yesterday, becoming the oldest golfer. In history, to win a major, fifty years and eleven months. He's going to be fifty-one years old next month, and uh, a remarkable performance yesterday. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, so we're going to talk. Um, we're going to talk more about that coming up at nine thirty. We're going to have Sam Dostler, the uh, director of communications for the Connecticut State Golf Association, joining us at nine thirty to talk about. Uh, what Phil did, put it in perspective a little bit and uh, what it means for uh, his future and the future of a lot of other golfers because uh, you know he, he has put uh, <clears throat> some hopes into a lot of golfers as they get older that uh, they can still be competitive. So uh, we'll talk about that. Other people that slept well yesterday, uh, the Boston Bruins. Uh, they finish off the Washington Capitals last night uh, handily 3-1. to one. It was um, a great goaltending performance by Tuka Rask. Uh, they got outshot in that game last night, to 17 I believe it was. Rask was unreal. Stood on his head, made some ridiculous saves, and uh, the Bruins just looked... Despite the number, I know this is going to sound silly, but despite the number of shots they gave, they gave up last night, they looked faster and in better shape than the Capitals. You know, one thing to keep in mind, that is an old Capitals team. You know, these are not a lot of young guys. I mean, Alex Ovechkin is 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 older. I mean, Zdeno Chara logged a lot of ice time last night. Um, you know, uh, these guys are not. You know, they, they are going to have to look in the mirror of the Washington Capitals in this offseason and decide what they are going to do. Um, but uh, the big guys showed up for the Bruins in a big way last night. Patrice Bergeron and David Posternak uh, were great. Bergeron scored twice, but the goal of the night, not only the goal of the night, it perhaps is one of the best goals I have ever seen uh, last night. David Posternak scored a goal. When he put the puck behind his back, then threw his legs, uh, skated across the crease, and beat the goaltender Samson off, it just made him look silly. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was still one of those things. I watched it on replay probably about 10 times last night, and it was just a thing of beauty. Uh, he is just a wizard with that stick. Um, so... They will now go on to take on the winner of the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Islanders. That one is tied at two games apiece. Uh, Game five is tonight. And, uh, you know, the the Penguins are the top seed. Islanders number four. Either one of them will be a tough matchup for the Bruins. It'll probably be a tougher matchup, honestly, than Washington was. I know the Capitals were the number two seed, but I honestly believe that both the Islanders – And the Penguins are going to be a tougher out for the Bruins. No question about it. Uh, So they will play tonight, uh, 7 o'clock. It's on NBCSN. Um, The Tampa Bay Lightning took a decisive 3-1 lead in their series over the Panthers. Of course, the the problem with that for the Lightning is uh, Nikita Kucherov uh, left in the third period of their victory in Game 4. Did not come back. Um, uh, Mikhail Sergachev. Uh, got his bell rung late in that game as well. Don't know whether they're going to be available for game five or not, but uh, we'll see. That game is on CNBC tonight. Um, so, a lot of great hockey, uh, tons of playoff hockey the next couple of nights. But uh, in the meantime, the Bruins are going to have uh, several days off, you know, which is, you know, it, on one hand, it's great because this time of year, everybody's a little bit banged up and a few days off. Uh, Always beautiful, but uh, at the same time, when you're rolling the way the Bruins are right now, you almost hate to stop playing. You know, you hope that you don't lose that momentum uh, that you had after taking care of the Caps. A lot of Bruins fans in that game last night, too. I was surprised. The, the crowd was only about 5,300, but there were a lot of people with Bruins jerseys on. There were a lot of people yelling out, too, when Rask would make a big save. Um, it was uh, kind of surprising to me. Um, you know, so anyway, uh, and you know, it may have been Zedano Chara's last game or at least his last playoff game. Who knows? Uh, he's 42 years old. He does have another year on that contract with the Washington Capitals. But, you know, if you're Chara, you know, what do you, you know, do you want to come back at 43 and go through another grind because, and don't forget next year is going to be a full season. They didn't even play a full 81 games this year. Or eighty two games this year. They're going to do that next year. If you're a Char, do you want to come back and do that for another year? You know, who knows? I mean that's uh and, and if you're the Capitals, do you want to make that change? Or do you mean or do you want to have him back? You know, that's a decision that the Bruins had to make. You got to give the Bruins a lot of credit. They made a couple of very big moves in the offseason by uh, not re signing Tory Krug. And by not re-signing Zidane Chara, they both left. Krug is out of the playoffs with St. Louis, and Chara got bounced out with the Capitals. And, you know, the Bruins had to make – those were very popular players in Boston. I mean, Chara was your team captain. So, you know, you have to give the Bruins credit for having the courage to do that. You know, and some of their guys – Mike Riley played one of his best games of the season last night. Uh, Curtis Lazar played a great game last night. Taylor Hall, what a great pickup he was at the trade deadline. Uh, Bruins have made all the right moves, and Tuka Rask has been great. You know They lost the first game in this series, and then they won four in a row. And the last two of them, despite getting outshot last night, the last two of them weren't closed. They won game four, four to one, and they win last night three to one. Uh, the Capitals did have a goal that could have made it 3-2 that got waved off with about five minutes to go um, because of, uh, a player was in the crease interfering with Rask. Actually, took Rask down with a kind of a cross-check in the back, and Rask was late getting up and able to get over to the other side, and they looked at it, and he, they said that it was interference. So um, the goal was disallowed. But anyway, so a uh, great job by the Bruins last night, and, uh, you know, I – if you're the Bruins, I'm not sure who you'd rather have. I think they obviously would probably rather have the Islanders. I mean, anytime you don't have to face Sidney Crosby for the Pittsburgh Penguins, that's a good thing. Uh, but a, a dominating effort last night. Uh, what was not dominating yesterday? <laughs> uh, the Red Sox. They um, they struggled against Zach Wheeler yesterday. Now, when the game before the game even started you knew that it was going to be a tough day if you were a Red Sox fan. Why? J.D. Martinez was not in the lineup. Xander Bogarts was not in the lineup. And um, uh, Alex Verdugo, not in the lineup. The guys that have been three of their best four hitters were all out. So you knew that... You know, with a guy like Wheeler, who is is really the ace of that Philly staff now, you can argue whether it's Nola or or Wheeler, but Wheeler's numbers say it's him. Uh, you knew that offense was going to be hard to come by. Well, Zach Wheeler was as advertised. Now they got the Erod. Erod was pitching for the Red Sox. Of course, the Sox hoped that he can um, put up some good numbers, keep him in the game. Well, he gave up four runs in the first inning, and and it wasn't that he uh, got battered all over the place. His control was awful. He ended up throwing 103 pitches in four-plus innings. I mean, it was gross. He ended up walking three guys. Uh, he hit somebody, you know, and so, you know, they had four runs on just two hits in the first inning. You know, and then they didn't get anything else. They ended up with a couple of runs in the eighth inning that didn't really mean anything. They got him off of uh, uh, Phillips Valdez. But, the you know, the... Erod settled down, kept himself out of trouble the rest of the way while he was in there. He just went too deep as far as the pitches go. And then Salamora and uh, Matt Andrees kept the Sox at least, uh, you know, keep, kept their hopes up. And then when they get a solo home run from Franchi Cordero, his first home run with the Red Sox that traveled a million feet, I think was blasted, uh, made it 4-1. You're thinking, okay, well maybe, you know, but then the Phillies scored two off of Valdez and that was that. Uh Wheeler struck out 12 in seven and a third innings. He, he went through seven. He had struck out 11. They brought him back out, and Cordero was the first guy he saw in the eighth. Cordero took him out. And he got another strikeout, and then they took him out of there. Uh, ends up throwing 98 pitches, but he struck out 12. He became the first um pitcher to strike out 12 Red Sox since James Paxton did it back in uh, 2019 when he struck out 12 over eight innings. Um, Sox did get one more consolation run Raffy Devers uh, hit a home run off of Archie Bradley in the ninth inning for Devers it was his 13th of the year but uh, the Red Sox are now 29 and 19. it snapped their four game winning streak and you know before everybody starts going crazy and says wow well, you know why you know why did you leave you know those guys on the bench look Alex Cora in his managing career with the Red Sox has always been clear about one thing. Guys are going to get days off and he's going to schedule them. And, you know, basically, uh, we need to live with that. And he did it all during 2018 when they won the World Series. So before, you know, they, let's, you know, the old in Alex, we trust thing, it worked in 2018. All right. We know what a mess 2019 was for him. But regardless, um, it's worked in the past. And let's remember in 2018, all right, when the Red Sox won the World Series, they were, I think, one game up at this same point through the same number, through 48 games. So right now they are in a flat footed tie with the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, look, the Red Sox are winning series. They've won seven of 10, yet they've lost ground in the standings because the Tampa Bay Rays. I've won 11 in a row. 11 in a row. They are now in a flat-footed tie with the Red Sox. They're both 29 and 19. The Yankees have won six in a row and eight of 10. They're only a half a game back. I mean, it's insane. The Sox are winning series and losing ground in the standings. But, again, Alex Cora is going to play, uh, as uh, Pete Abraham calls it, the long game. You know, and... uh, They're going to be fine, you know. I I would be lying if I said I'm not concerned about Erod a little bit. Now his velocity was back up yesterday, but he does not look like the same pitcher. Now you know we again we know he missed last year because he had COVID. He had the myocarditis, the inflammation of the heart muscle. You have to wonder if there isn't some lingering effects of that. You know he came back. He looked pretty good early, but the stamina is not going to be there after having, you know, a year plus off. You have to wonder if there isn't, uh, he just is, is going to need some rest. He's got an ERA of over five right now. You know, the problem is the Red Sox, if, if, where are you going to go? If you give them rest, uh, Tanner Houck, who's one of their guys, they thought could be, uh, part of that rotation depth, uh, got hurt in triple a, so he's on the disabled list. Uh, Connor Siebold, another guy they've considered as depth, uh, is also down. So there's nobody else to go to, so they're going to try to work through this. Now, they could throw, I guess, Matt Andrees and try to throw him as a starter, see if you get three or four out of him because they were trying to stretch him out. And when he comes in, it's usually for multiple innings. But it might be that Erod is going to need a couple of weeks off at some point. And that point might be now. So, uh, you know, but again, still tied. If you had told me before the season started that on May the 24th, the Red Sox would be tied for first place, I would have signed up for it right away. Uh, I mentioned the Yankees. The Yankees win yesterday. Um, Despite the fact that Roldis Chapman blew his first save of the season, um, the Yankees win on a walk-off walk. Aaron Judge gets walked. By Liam Hendricks with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning. And the Yankees win their sixth in a row. They sweep the series with the first place Chicago White Sox. And uh, Red Sox hearts get broken. <laughs> Glaber Torres, three more hits yesterday since coming off um, uh, the injured list. He's been on fire. And, uh, you know, Clint Frazier came back yesterday. He had missed the last several games because of a uh, um, an issue with a stiff neck. Uh, he had three hits in his return. Uh, Gary Sanchez continues to struggle offensively. He's hitting 181, but they got it done when they needed to a bases-loaded walk. Um, and Jamison Tyon threw five shutout innings, allowed just two hits. And uh, that extends, by the way, the scoreless streak for Yankee starters to 35 innings, going all the way back to Corey Kluber's no-hitter no last week, and then seven shutout innings by Domingo Herman, uh, Jordan Montgomery, and Garrett Cole. That is the second-longest streak in team history. Uh, the record is 40, which was set all the way back in 1932. One of the... Um, one of the the people in that scoreless streak, by the way, Speck Shea, uh, who, uh, Connecticut native, lived here uh, until he passed away several years ago. Lived in the uh, the Greenwich area. Uh, Speck Shea, Ali Reynolds, Reynolds, and Spud Chandler <laughs> were the guys uh, uh, who uh, had that streak, and uh, it was broken by none other. Then Ted Williams, who hit a two-run home run in the ninth inning to break up that streak. But uh, it, an impressive streak for Yankee starters right now. I also mentioned the Rays. They swept the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they win yesterday 6-4. to four. Hinjin Ryu, the ace for Toronto, started. It was pretty good. Uh, but then Tyler Chatwood, who, was, who had been really good out of their bullpen, ended up giving up four runs in just two-thirds of an inning. And uh, the Rays... Uh, win six four and uh, boy I tell you what, you know I mentioned the standings in the American League East, uh, two tight to at top, Yankees a half a game back, Toronto four and a half back after getting swept. They've now lost five in a row, but that's still a very dangerous Toronto team in my opinion. And then the White Sox after getting swept, you know they were feeling pretty good about their position in the AL Central. Well now all of a sudden, Cleveland's just a game and a half back. and the Kansas City Royals who have won a couple in a row, are now just four back. You know, all over baseball, actually, the the standings have tightened up. The Oakland Athletics uh, lost two out of three over the weekend. Their lead now in the AL West is just a game and a half over Houston. Uh, the New York Mets lost again yesterday. They lost to the Miami Marlins 5-1. to one. Uh, Cody Poteet, a, a rookie, came in and threw seven scoreless innings against the Mets yesterday. And uh, they win that one. And so now the Mets, their lead in the NL East is just a game and a half over both Atlanta and Philadelphia. Atlanta's starting to heat up. They've won three in a row. And uh, the Miami Marlins now are only five and a half back, two games under 500. So that's gotten tight. The St. Louis Cardinals last night uh, lose to the Chicago Cubs. So the Cubs have tightened up the NL Central to just two games. Milwaukee three back. And then... You go all the way over to the AL West. I mean, excuse me, the NL West and the San Diego Padres. My God, they've won nine in a row. They just finished a homestand up a nine-game homestand. And they won all nine of them. All nine. They beat the Mariners yesterday, nine to two, to finish that sweep. And Fernando Tatis, remember he got shut down for COVID, and the uh, uh, the Padres went like seven and one while he was down. Since coming back. He is 11 for 14 in four games. He is 11 for 14 with four homers and 12 runs batted in. He hit two more bombs yesterday, including including a grand slam. And the Padres are now 30 and 17. They are where people thought they were going to be. Yu Darvish with another strong start went seven innings, improved his record to five and one, lowered his ERA uh, to 1.75. And the Dodgers are getting to where they need to be. They are now 11 games over 500 at 29 and 18. They've won seven in a row in 9 of 10. So the NL West leaders, San Diego's won nine in a row. The Dodgers have won seven in a row. And the Giants, who were in first place just last week, have lost three in a row and now find themselves two back. Uh, They got drubbed by the Dodgers yesterday, 11 to 5. Anthony Scalfani, who had been so good for San Francisco, gave up 10 runs and nine hits in two and two-thirds innings. And uh, the Dodgers run away with that one. So uh, all of a sudden, the cream is rising to the top in Major League Baseball. You knew it was only a matter of time. Um, you know, And uh, they, they're not going to be able to keep uh, teams that are that loaded down for that long. Uh, great series coming up this week. I can't wait. Uh, the White Sox and Tony La Russa uh, have... His old team, the St. Louis Cardinals, coming into town. Uh, it's a three-game series. Uh, there's still people playing for the Cardinals: Wainwright, uh, Yadi Molina, guys that were with the Cardinals when Tony La Russa was still managing the last time. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that. Lance Lynn is going to get the start in the opening game uh, for the White Sox. Lynn is four and one with a one-five-five ERA. So you know he struggled. His first start with the White Sox, and everybody was like, Ooh, "What were they thinking?" You know, signing this guy away from Texas. Uh, well, uh, he was uh, 34 years old now, and he is getting better and better as the season has gone along. And by the way, he was a rookie, and he pitched in relief in the final game uh, that Tony La Russa managed for the Cardinals. So, you know, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun series. I can't wait for that one. Uh, but Spencer Turnbull, by the way. Uh, pitches at home for the Detroit Tigers tomorrow. It'll be his first start since his no-hitter against Cleveland, uh, or excuse me, against Seattle. So he will pitch against Cleveland tomorrow night. That's going to be fun to watch. And Corey Kluber, who pitched a no-hitter of his own for the Yankees at Texas last week, uh, pitches tomorrow night at home against the Toronto Blue Jays. So the last two no-hitter guys uh, will go tomorrow night. So that's going to be fun to watch as well. It is twenty eight minutes past yeah. We're going to take a break when we come back. Sam Dostler is going to join us to talk about what Phil Mickelson did yesterday and what that says about the state of golf today. What it says uh to all the old guys still kicking around on the PGA tour. Uh so we'll talk to him when we come back in a minute. You're listening to the wake up call on Sports Country. it's 30 minutes past the hour welcome back to the wake-up call here on a monday morning and we are pleased to be joined by sam dostler the director of communications for the connecticut state golf association i know they've got a, an event today but he has been kind enough to take a few minutes with us this morning good morning sam how are you
0: morning Gene. things are good uh yeah we're actually out at the beautiful design country club of waterbury for our first uh major of the season the russell c palmer cup so uh and it's on time this year, so that's exciting.
1: That's a well, it's a beautiful thing, and and we saw yesterday, uh, golf is back in a big way. And I, you know, the, the event or what Phil Mickelson did aside, the crowd yesterday at Kiwa Island was one of the most incredible things I have ever seen. That crowd when those guys were coming up the 18th, uh, it was almost out of control, wasn't it?
0: Uh, I wouldn't use the word almost. I would say out of <laughs> control. Um, <laughs> You know, you had some guy trying to rip down Phil Mickelson and uh, one of the one of the cops on hand. She had to sort of right right his ship a little bit and make sure he was able to walk up the way. Brooks Koepa got his knee banged up a little bit from all accounts. But, hey, you know what? Uh, you, you like to see the excitement back. And I, as I was sitting there watching that scene around the, the 18th green, I was watching with my wife and I said, you know, this is the day sports are, are back in America. You know, it really felt like that moment, whether we're quite ready for it or not, that's another discussion as far as COVID's concerned. But uh, as far as sports go, it was it was it was great to see that scene and and the excitement and uh, just just to see something like that again, something that we haven't uh, had in such a long time.
1: Well, I was uh, reading your uh, uh, your Twitter feed and one of the things you put, you know, you, you you make no mis- you know, you make no bones about it that Phil Mickelson was, you know, one of your favorite players. And it's been fun to be able to watch a guy that you rooted for as a kid still succeeding and getting to that level that he did this weekend. And it made me think of, I went through the same exact thing. Uh, Jack Nicholas was my favorite golfer growing up. I mean, I grew up at a time when he was in his prime. And then, of course, you know, he kind of disappeared and nobody thought he would ever do anything again. And he won the Masters. Uh, of course, in nineteen eighty six, and I was tw- I, well. I probably about the age you are now. I think I was twenty six years old when Nicholas won uh, the Masters, and you know, for Phil Mickelson to do it, who was even older than Jack Nicholas at the time, four years older than Jack. Um, man, I'll tell you what; it's uh, it's almost a pinch me moment, I guess, for somebody who is a fan of Phil Mickelson.
0: It is right because you you root for the you root for teams right you know you you are a Red Sox fan you're a Yankees fan you're a Mets fan you're a UConn basketball fan what, whatever team you root for and you still root for those teams but there's nothing like being a fan as a child right right you're, you're, it's schoolwork practice and watching your favorite team and then you, you still follow them, but the players turn over. It's not for Meyer. It's not the Nomar Garcia Paras. It's not the Derek Jeters anymore. Uh, so it's not quite that same childhood connection where you build, where you buy the jersey and you're Nomar Garcia par in the backyard. But, you know, as I sit here as a 30-year-old now, Phil Mickelson is, has been the guy that I've rooted for since he won those gho titles back in 99 and back in 2000 and 2001 i saw him hole out for eagle uh in a sunday charge when he won i believe it was the second one uh on the seventh hole. i was sitting right behind the green and those are moments that stick with you and uh it's amazing that i sit there as a 30 year old now with a house and a wife and completely different phase of life but right. those same feelings not to the same extent but those same feelings as when you're uh when I was sitting there in 2004 watching him win the Masters, those same feelings come back. You know, I have flashed back to uh, some of the shots that they showed of him and the way they captured the angle made me flash back to, oh, that looks familiar to the way the camera captured him at the 2006 U.S. Open. Uh, I even wore my 2006 U.S. Open wing foot shirt uh, yesterday. Uh, I was kind of trying some reverse voodoo uh, for, for Phil. <laughs> it worked. Um, it, you know, because that was, and that's that's another event. Like I got tickets the day before. I, I skipped. My dad pulled me out of final exams to go and watch the second round of that tournament. And already being a Phil guy, and he almost won. So it's it's you have all these memories stuck in the back of your head with this particular person, and then to have it all come flooding back, it's 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 really a neat thing. And and golf's really the only sport where where that can happen.
1: Well, yeah, I remember when Jack won it in '86. I'm not ashamed to say I actually teared up. I mean, I was that yeah. I was that emotional about it that you know here's this guy that everybody thought was you know they were they were throwing dirt on the grave and right. yet, yet here he was and so it was a very emotional thing for me.
0: Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say I, it went that far yesterday. Just because he was kind of in control right for the last four or five holes. Um, right. You you knew it was coming. You were just holding his your breath that he would hit dry <laughs> land on seventeen. Right. And once he hit land on 17, even though he, he hopped into that tall grass behind the green, you knew it was uh, pretty much well and done at that point. It was uh, just phenomenal. And just talking about his play, you know, you're, you're sitting there. And he's had some good rounds. And even a couple of weeks ago, he opened with the 63 at Wells Fargo. But, you know, he followed up, I think, 74, 75, right. 74 or something along those lines and finished over par. So he's had good rounds. So it's 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 interesting, you know, you sit there on Thursday, okay, you know, that was a nice round, but Friday, same thing, but and then after he righted the ship following the bogey, double bogey stretch early on the back nine on Saturday and, and finished in the lead, it was, it was one of those feelings for the first time where it was like, well, maybe this guy can actually do this, and uh, he just, he played steady golf. Everyone's going to bogey some holes out there. It's a tough course, and right. he didn't compound any of his errors, and uh, he took his medicine when he needed to, which is something he hasn't always done throughout his career. Did't have the big miss and uh, he was able to really inexplicably I, I don't know that anyone's really wrapped their head around it yet, win the tournament.
1: Well, you know you just you're, you're you just led into exactly what I was gonna bring up. What was amazing to me yesterday was you said take his medicine. He played smart. he knew when, to not gamble. He was always a gambler. I mean, that's, you know, he always went for the big shot. And, you know, a perfect example was yesterday on the 17th when he's in that high grass, he could have tried to go and get the ball closer to the pin and maybe try to make some spectacular shot, but he did the smart thing. You know, he just wanted to get it on the green, and he knew he was going to get, you know, if he did that, he worst he's going to do is a bogey. In the past, he might not have done that.
0: Right and and even some of the putts that he hit coming down the stretch he had a birdie putt I think on the 15th and he wasn't overly aggressive with it he
1: right. knew
0: he was in control he could just nestle it down there get his par he knew he had a birdie hole coming up in 16 uh, on six, the par 5 16th which he he ended up birdying to get the the kind of the final cushion he needed and the same thing with that putt on 18 uh it was only a 15 footer it wasn't overly a difficult putt but uh, not that he wasn't trying to make it but he he just rolled it up close and, and held an easy tap in par, no stress. So um really the only head scratching shot that he hit uh was when he ended up hitting his second shot into the water on thirteen. Yep. Uh but even then he, he got a bit of an unlucky bounce. He pulled it a little bit. It, it wasn't it wasn't as if he was trying to gamble. Uh he just hit a poor shot. But if you're gonna go into the water, that's where you can do it, right? You know, it's you, you still have a a a little a little putt for par not little putt, but you have a putt for par and at the worst you're gonna walk off with a bogey so it wasn't the end of the world and um you know of course the round wasn't without his fireworks the the bunker shot on the on the fifth hole for birdie i think that's that's that that's the one that uh really jump-started things and uh, I know you as a broadcaster and, and me with a broadcasting background as well to hear Vern Lundquist on that call was, was a lot classic. Of
1: fun. Yep. Yep. I, yep. You know that, and that was the great thing too, you we heard the classic voices, you know, and, and even mm-hmm. Jim Nance at the end, I mean, his final comment of, you know, Phil Mickelson beats father time. I mean, you know, now I, I want to say it wasn't scripted, but maybe it was, but regardless, he it was the exact right thing to say at that time.
0: Yeah. And scripted or not, you know, Jim Nance has, has that impeccable timing. It's great to hear those classic voices. Um, you know, Vern is, I think he certainly lost a step and people will go after him at, uh, on that on Twitter. But to me, just just hearing the voice and having someone who's captured so many great moments. I mean, think about it. He was the, he's the one whose voice you always hear, uh, you know, you were mentioning Jack Nicholas. You always hear him. Yep. Yes, sir. On yep. the seven, you know, the 71st hole, that 1986 masters. And now, He's going to be linked all these years later. Uh, what I don't—I'm not good at math, but however many years ago, <laughs> 1986 was to, to now. All these years later, he's—he's he's going to have, if not these signature moments, certainly one of the two or three signature moments from the Phil Mickelson round. Uh, you know, you're going to hear that one over and over again. Maybe not to the same extent because it was on the fifth hole versus the the fifth hole, of the final round versus the 17th hole. But still, whenever you watch that highlight video. Of of the two thousand and twenty one PGA Championship, there's there's Vern Lundquist making that call. It's it's remarkable.
1: You and I have had this conversation before on this show um, about the fact that with the conditioning and with the equipment and everything in today's game, that it was likely that somebody in their fifties was going to mm-hmm. win a major. And and Phil is probably not going to be the last one. It's got to give a lot of hope two people well if tiger woods can come back from his injury you know you think about everything that tiger's done in his career well if he sees phil winning at 50 almost 51 he's got to be thinking well there's no reason why i can't keep doing this and and he's not the only one it's got to give hope to anybody now on that tour that's in their their mid to late 40s
0: oh for sure i mean just look at someone like Stuart sink who's having a bit of a resurgence right. this year he won the rbc heritage uh, in april um Lee Westwood's having a fantastic year. Uh, there, there's a lot of guys that are that are older that are doing it, and that's the thing. Especially with the equipment and with the style of sport that golf is, is these guys are, are are able to have just such long careers and. You know, we'll wait to see. Was this lightning in a bottle for Phil, or, or is this something he's been saying he's close? Is this something he's going to be able to to sustain? I mean, we'll see. I, I find it hard. To, you know, I, would you be surprised if he went out and missed the cut at Tory Pines nope. in a month nope. at the US Open? No. Nope. Um, but after seeing what he did, would you be surprised if he flirted with the top of the leaderboard on a course he's familiar with? No. Um, but it's it's it is going to be something. He's the first, but he's certainly. Uh, not going to be the last, especially with uh, how serious people take being in shape now. Right, you know, taking care of their body and and uh, and, and all that.
1: Well, you referenced the U.S. Open at Tory Pines. That's kind of his home course, and yeah, uh, he had recently accepted an a a, uh, a waiver to get in an exemption. Yeah, special exemption. But yeah, but now he doesn't need it, and he's qualified for the next five years. So good for him. But uh, you know. I guess if, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what to think about this. I mean, part of me says, well, you know, the story's been written, so maybe that's good enough. But, boy, what if he were to do that for two majors in a row? It would be something amazing.
0: It, it certainly would. I mean, just looking back in the history of golf, how many guys have won two majors in a row, period, let alone a right. guy who's 50, uh, 50 years old and will be 51 uh, right around the time that that tournament starts. Um, But for me, uh, and I think a lot of golf fans, I think at least for the moment, just looking at this week and people love to look ahead when guys win majors right you know justin thomas he won his pga championship a few years ago now how many is he gonna win roy how many is he gonna win you never you never know you know look at how dustin johnson's playing right now not great like guys get to the top they're there for a while then unless you're a tiger woods or a jack nicholas you you have that fade off and then maybe you come back and go back and forth but I, i think with this phil mickelson situation you just gotta At least for a few days, just sit there, look at it, and say that was an unbelievable week, an unbelievable accomplishment, and then uh, speculate about what'll happen, kind of when it happens. Just because he's not that young guy, he he is fifty. You know, he's the defending champion at a couple of Champions Tour events.
1: Right. Well, and I'm sure, and I'm also sure that it physically and maybe even more mentally took Mm -hmm. a lot out of him this week. Oh, I'm sure to concentrate. I mean, and I'll tell you what, watching him. It, it, maybe I'm wrong, but he seemed more deliberate and more focused than I ever remember seeing him in the past.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. They, they talked about the meditation he's doing and the the, the different practices that he's been doing. And, and he he was calm, composed, collected and, and just went about his business. Really no ups and downs. I don't know. You know, it's more of a, a page out of the Brooks Kepka book. Just kind of go and plod your way around the golf course.
1: Well, I got two more quick things for you. I know you got to get out of here, but um the co- the golf course this week um uh at, at Kauai Island was, you know, we were talking about the US Open. This that was a very very difficult golf course. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and it almost is I don't want to say it was U.S. Open-ish because they're going to, the the rough is going to be so much thicker usually at the U.S. Open. But boy, you know if if he's going to go play well at the U.S. Open, to have Kauai Island be that tough a test, that's you know that's probably not a bad thing for him as he goes into looking at the U.S. Open ahead.
0: No, definitely not, and and especially with there's not a ton of room to mess at Kawhi Island. Past PGA Championships, he might be able to bomb and gouge out of the rough, but. Uh, when you when you're playing here at Kauai, you got so much water and, and different hazards, and if you're off the fairway, there's not a lot of room for error. So, uh, it it you know if you can if you can play well there, you know you have a good chance of playing well in in other spots.
1: Well, and finally for Connecticut golf fans, uh, he's committed to come to Cromwell. And, yeah. you know, so you're going to get a chance, you know, and it won't be the last time cause he'll probably continue to come to Cromwell as long as he feels he can be competitive on the tour. Cause he's always played well there, but now the Connecticut fans and we'll actually be able to have Connecticut fans get a chance to see him this year.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the, as always, they have a great field. I think he was around the lead last year, um, through 36 holes. So, and as I mentioned before, a couple of wins early in his career. So it's, it's a place he loves and, uh, you know, I think the excitement level was already going to be there at the Travelers this year, just because no fans were allowed last year. But uh, having guys like him and Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, uh, Bubba Watson, who's won here three times in the field, it's it's going to be a big jolt of of energy to the state and the region when we when we get to tournament time.
1: Oh, and hey, I didn't know this. I did, I found this out this morning. I'm sure you knew it because you're a big Phil Mickelson fan. I didn't find this out till this morning, which is kind of stupid. He's not really a lefty.
0: No, he's not. I had no
1: yeah. idea that he he, yeah. he plays golf lefty because of his father, but yeah. he's not really yeah. a lefty. I had yeah. no idea.
0: Yeah, naturally a righty.
1: <laughs> you learn, you know what? That means you know, I'm 60 years old and you're never too old to learn. So No, you're not. Well, listen, good luck today uh with your tournament, my friend, and we will have you on in a couple of weeks again, but uh, thanks for coming on this morning.
0: Great, appreciate it, Jim.
1: All right, Sam Doster here on Sports Country Radio. It is forty seven minutes past the hour. We're going to take another quick break. We're back in a minute to wrap things up. You're listening to the wake up call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. It is fifty minutes past the hour. Just a couple of minutes left this morning. I was just thinking. Um Sandoster mentioned that, you know, yesterday was kind of the day that sports returned to America. And I guess in a lot of ways it was. Seeing that crowd on the 18th green yesterday, uh, or the 18th fairway, was absolutely stunning. And, and I was, you know, there was a part of me that was worried about the golfers. And Brooks Kepka was a little bit, uh, you know, he was a little pissed off in a couple of his comments. His knee got banged a couple of times. This is a guy that's recovering from knee surgery. The knee's already, you know, still sore. And so he's a little bit pissed off about that, And, and which I get. You know, and there were some comments, well, maybe somebody was trying to hit him on purpose. I mean, that's, you know, come on. But, uh, you know, it was a little bit out of control. And I, I almost wonder if the tournament organizers were not prepared for that. You know what I mean? In that, you know, well, well people haven't been out, so everybody's going to come and they're just going to be polite and clap. And I, But I also think that the fans were just so, some of it was because it was Phil but some of it was also because just because people were so excited to be able to be at a live event my wife and i are going to a concert in in august and i was thinking about this i mean this is probably it's probably going to be the most appreciative crowd in the history of crowds you know uh, live music now somebody could go out there and probably sing off key for an hour and people would still clap you know because people are just so going to be so grateful to be able to be out and do things again but i, I get where you know uh, where Sam would feel that way because we haven't seen crowds like that. And it's going to be fun. I was thinking about this, the, the Bruins, uh, Massachusetts has cleared full uh, capacity for TD Garden. So when their second-round series happens, it's going to give the Bruins a bit of an advantage. Uh, the Capitals only were allowing 5,300 people in their building. Well, the TD Garden is going to be full for the next round of the playoffs. And if it happens to be against the Islanders, that'd be great for the Bruins because they're the higher seed. They would end up with the home ice advantage and four of the seven possible games would be in a place with full capacity. So that's awesome. Uh, So hopefully, uh, uh, you know, that will help carry the Bruins uh, forward. But yeah, I I get it. I mean, I absolutely get where um, uh, it probably, it, it had that feeling. I even said to Barbara, my wife, Yesterday, when we were watching, and I said these golfers have to be loving this, and I and I get the whole thing with Kepka, but you know, a lot of golfing, you know, is there's there's an energy to the crowd, and these guys play off of that sometimes, and you know, they played for an entire year with nobody there, you know, it was like you were going out for a Sunday round of golf with your buddies because there was nobody watching. And that had to be the strangest thing for them. I mean, if they, you know, from the time, you know, they were, uh, you know, in college, you know, they were, there were always some fans there. And, of course, then once you get, you know, to the bigger tournaments, there's tons of them. And, and, but it becomes part of what they're used to. So it had to be odd. And some of the golfers talked about how it was not the same and about how not having that crowd energy affected their play. So I, I get it. I, I absolutely get it. So anyway, fun to see, uh, and uh, if, I think we're going to, as we go along, we're going to see full ballparks this summer. Um, you know, I think that we're back. We don't have herd immunity yet, but we're getting there, and I think that uh, sports is going to be well, yeah, hopefully the way it used to be and hopefully for the foreseeable future, and we don't end up taking a step backward. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Plenty of baseball tonight. The Red Sox are not playing tonight. They've got the night off. But as I said, uh, uh, we've got Spencer Turnbull, who pitched a no-hitter his last time out, taking on Cleveland tonight, so that'll be something to watch. And uh, Tony La Russa taking on his old team, the St. Louis Cardinals, so we'll be watching that as well tonight, and plenty of NHL hockey as well. We leave you this morning with some music from uh, Jake Hoot and Kelly Clarkson. This is called I Would Have Loved You Anybody. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.